Good morning, viewers and listeners. Welcome back to the latest episode of The Free Marketeers. I hope you all had a good weekend. I hope you're all enjoying the freedoms that you now have on lockdown level three. I hope you're all not going too crazy and getting up to to no good. Interesting to see how people are reacting to the different lockdown levels and uh, what's been happening in the country. Uh, this morning, I have a very special guest. We're going to talk about all things healthcare in the country, seeing as we are in the midst of a global pandemic. My um, guest today is Henry Krier. Henry is a member of the FMF's Health Policy Unit. Henry, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Henry, uh, I thought we'd start with just a broad overview. Um, South Africa went into lockdown on the 27th of March of this year. Um, the government sort of followed this route in the, the hopes of, of uh, lessening the peak, as it were. We've all, the, all heard the phrase of flattening the curve around uh, COVID-19 infections. So what do you think, uh, just to start off with, what did you think of government's initial reaction and their approach to, to, to this pandemic? Yeah, I think we were all aware that it was not going to be a normal flu. So we all thought, you know, we must brace ourselves for the worst. And um, me, myself, I was, uh, you know, propagating a lockdown. Mm -hmm. But I think as far the farther we progress with this, you know, the less we believe in, in what is actually achieved with the lockdown. Mm -hmm. I, think, um, I think fear was definitely an overriding element, as it were. And a lot of us were scared of this new, this new virus, perhaps. And we thought, um, you know, maybe government is right to follow this hard route. And now it's come to light that maybe this wasn't the best, the best approach. What do you think in terms of how things have unfolded now specifically, uh, maybe in terms of government readiness, uh, that sort of thing. I mean, last week, for example, I had an article out that people can find on our website just about the, the lack of capacity that we have, the lack of preparing in terms of critical care beds and ventilators. So if you could touch on some of those things, how it sort of unfolded for you. Yeah, I, th I think that the main purpose was to actually, you know, get government to get geared and get ready. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, we haven't seen the worst of it. It's only right. going to eat us, say, around about August. But I don't know. I, I don't believe that they have actually been able to prepare. Mm -hmm. um, we have seen a lot of um, complaints around the shortage of PPEs. Okay. We've seen um, no protocols in place at government hospitals and especially the worst areas were the, the clinics, the public clinics and the municipal clinics. They weren't prepared at all. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know how far they have actually now progressed in, in getting ready. But um, even with the testing, I mean, the private sector was ahead in testing for COVID-19 cases. Mm -hmm. And now again, we've heard that there's a backlog in the testing. And I've even now seen scientists complaining that the testing is, is done not at a fast enough rate. The turnaround time for, for the results are too long. So there's, there's no real benefit in containing and in, in containing the, the virus. And then also they're testing in the public. And, you know, they don't have enough resources. So calls are being made to actually just test in hospitals and to actually test healthcare professionals. 
you know, I've, I've been speaking to, um, to pharmacists, which says that, you know, they don't have any PPEs, they don't get tested. You know, it's like when uh, the test has been done by the, the healthcare practitioner and the nurse, they just progress onto the pharmacy. And then there's no protocols, you know, behind that first line of testing. So, you know, the lockdown hasn't served, you know, that purpose of getting ready. I think at this stage, you know, the, the, the workplace is the best place actually to screen and to test. Right. Um, employers have actually been able to prepare. And I think hmm. that's where we will see the value. For instance, with serology testing, I think if we could get that passed by SAPRO, you know, so that we can do that rapid testing at workplaces, I think, you know, we will go farther than actually doing those PCR testings in the public, you know, sector. So just for my own benefit and for the, the listeners and the viewers, what, uh, what exactly is that test and what, what is the test for? What, what exactly is that, that sort of focused on, the testing that you're mentioning? Serology testing is an antigen test, so it can actually determine if you've had the virus, you know, and you have built up some immunity against it. So it's a good tool to actually determine whether the person that's going back to work has actually had the virus right. and what sort of effect it, it, it had on that person. Okay, I see. It's a very quick test. Very, okay. Very much. Okay. You can get the result in a, in a few minutes. So. Um, I wanted to ask you, maybe this will take us on a bit of a tangent and I don't want to put you on the spot, but just your thoughts on what's happened in the Western Cape, because we've seen a lot of cases there. So is that an indication, is that putting any sort of blame on the local government there? Is it an indication that they've been testing well because they've been doing a lot of tests, therefore the number of cases will go up if you get more testing, that sort of thing? What do you think of what's been happening in the Western Cape, maybe compared to some of the other provinces? Yeah, I must say, when I look at the complaints, uh, most of the complaints do come from the Western Cape, mm. but I do think they've seen uh, a lot more cases than the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, you know, I can't scientifically explain it, but what I can say is that the reaction that we've seen from the authorities in the Western Cape has been the best. Okay. Uh, so if you lodge a complaint, if explain to them what's what's wrong they're very quick to actually you know act on it and, and to make work of it and um what do you i'm going to put you on the spot on the spot now so tell me if uh, if it's not going to work for you necessarily but if you were the the minister of health you know when the sort of a global pandemic hits your country um would you have is there a better way you know maybe in terms of allowing each province to handle it for themselves? Is it a case of allowing each hospital to handle it for themselves? Maybe the private sector as a whole? Do you think when it's a pandemic, the government has to assume some sort of role? Just maybe a theoretical perspective that you have there. Of course, the theory is always different from the practice. And what we say in theory never shakes out in practice 100%. But just what you think in terms of what you would do in that position. As, as government, you have the power to do something. I mean, if you look at the Disaster Management Act, it's, it's specifically geared for a disaster. Sure. This is a pandemic, so it's a disaster. 
So you pool your resources. And I mean, you must play to your strengths. We've seen other countries that's immediately engaged with the private sector. Right. And I mean, in South Africa, let's be honest, you know, the private sector is very strong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you look at the private sector response and actions, you know, it's been very efficient. You've mm-hmm. seen and you've heard about hospitals like MediClinic and Medicare that's, that's starting to get full and they they coming to capacity and they actually send these patients to other hospitals. They've been doing this for ages. They, they very much geared to do this. And I've seen NetCare's responses. I've seen their screening policies. I've seen their education and training regarding PPEs, protective clothing. Mm-hmm. It's been very efficient. So if I was government, I would really pull resources. We've seen a block exemption, you know, from the minister in terms of the Competitions Act. But, okay. you know, they haven't addressed the, the prices, the, the tariffs, the issues there. Mm-hmm. So now you've, you've heard that there's an agreement with, with private hospitals, but still the practitioners are out there. There's, there's no agreement with the practitioners. Private practitioners haven't been geared, they haven't been given PPEs, they've actually not received any assistance. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of resources that, that you're not utilizing. Mm-hmm. And then you go and you actually import Cuban doctors mm-hmm. and you spend $439 million on them, you know, and you just, you know, make your local practitioners, you know, so much more despondent because right. it seems like, you know, you're not actually And as with most things, I assume having no local knowledge of, you know, of the people around you would help in this sort of this sort of situation. It would help if the, the government sector, it would help practically if the government and the public sector actually utilized their health practitioners in the country who have been part of their communities and who know the people around them. Oh, for sure. I mean, if, if you look at the private sector, it's much more focused on family medicine. Okay. So you've got that, um, you know, focus on, on families and, you know, you've got the history. While in the, the public sector, it's very much disease-focused. It's always been disease-focused with TB and HIV. And now they say, you know, that you can actually treat COVID-19 the same as you do with HIV, with screening and so on. I still believe the best approach would be, like you say, in the community. Mm-hmm. And see why they actually the Cubans. The Cuban system is much a community-oriented primary care, you know, setup. So I believe in the private sector, you know, you would go very much further in, in, in actually doing preventative care than just going out into the public and doing mass testing you know, squandering resources, that's not really effective. Um, you, you should have a community approach. Right. And for so long, you know, we've been propagating for the, for the public health system to be integrated into a community system and for family medicine to actually be, you know, um, proposed and, and to be um, furthered. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you about maybe this is throwing forward a bit into the future, but I think it's important to keep in mind um, while we're in the midst of this pandemic, and I know it's very 
uh, tough, tough for any of us to think, you know, for the next year, never mind the next five years or the next 10 years, but there have been renewed calls for South Africa to implement the national health insurance, the NHI. Um, I mean, number one, I'm sure most people are aware that there's simply no room in the budget for anything like this, to finance anything like this, but that doesn't usually seem to put off those in government who are committed to these grand projects that they want to show the people, you know, we care about your healthcare, we care about bringing down the prices, we can give you healthcare services. So of course, why, why wouldn't this be a good idea? But on, on your point of, I'll segue into it this way, the, the point of the private and public sector working together and having things integrated better. Um, I mean, surely now would be the worst time to implement this sort of national management monopoly of people's healthcare needs. I mean, we've got 55 million people in the country. To think that a bureaucrat or a certain committee can account for everyone's healthcare challenges and needs to me is quite crazy. And second of all, it'll just destroy what good there is in the private sector. Of course, we know that there are issues in the private sector, but I thought I would just get your take on maybe a, a better version of an NHI that could be, could happen going forward, not the sort of top-down monopoly management approach that's currently being punted. Yeah, so again, you know, government has, has lost the opportunity before COVID-19. I mean, our country was in a state even before the pandemic. Right. You know, economically, we, we're not in a good space going into this into this pandemic. We weren't in the, in the position that we were in 2009. We had a strong, you know, balance sheet as, as a country. You know, we're really not able to afford any new um, grant projects like, like you've called it. Mm. You know, so what are you left with? You know, we had a, a total health market inquiry where a lot of money has been spent. All the share, all the stakeholders have made submissions. There, there were a lot of inquiries done, you know, and there's recommendations that came out of that. And mm -hmm. I mean, those recommendations you can implement, but there hasn't been the political will to do that. It's okay. almost like government or private sector to fail. And you can't do that. I mean, it's a resource in your country mm. that, that you can utilize. I mean, if you look at the reforms that's necessary in the medical scheme space, you can open it up for a whole lot more of the, of the population of South Africa. And, mm. and you can do that now without spending too much money. It's just a matter of reforming and to actually take away, you know, the 25% solvency level that medical schemes have to adhere to, push it into a risk-based model, mm -hmm. um, look at the cross-subsidization between options, take that away, you know, look at the PMBs. I know there's a massive, um, you know, reformation of, of the prescribed minimum benefits that, that medical schemes have to, to uh, provide for. And then also, I mean, make it mandatory, mm. you know, and do that risk equalization fund between the medical aids, you know, and up the competition. Yeah. Um, this is something, if you stimulate it, you mm. can get a whole lot more traction out of the private sector. You can open it up to so much more people, mm -hmm. you know, and the public sector is struggling. If you don't have money to actually put the infrastructure down. I've, I've just now read about um, Teicherberg Hospital. That's mm -hmm. now the epicenter of COVID-19. 
if you look at that hospital, you know, get the private sector in, get mm. participation, uh, get the capital in. You know, there's, there's a lot more stimulus that government can, can actually put into our economy. Mm-hmm. You know, allow companies now to put out shares, you know, um, because you, you need to access capital now fast right. you know, to, to keep the players in the market and to expand and to put down infrastructure. Now is the time to actually invest. You know, like Bill Gates said, you know, he's been warning the world a long time ago that this sort of pandemic will not go down good because mm. the there hasn't been any investment into a pandemic like this. But mm-hmm. now, you know, let's do it. Let's see what we can do. Yeah, the, I mean, the only countries we've seen probably handle it the best is South Korea. And that's because of their previous experience with SARS. They realized what they should do going forward and they prepped for it. Of course, there are issues around um, privacy concerns, some of the tracking that they've done and that whole thing. You can have that debate. But at least from a, uh, a being... Uh, a pragmatic being pro sort of progress adopting the view of progress on the part of government they tried to learn from their mistakes in that country i don't know if you've looked into what happened there at all i mean we could also touch on sweden and how that's being held up as an example of a country that didn't follow the lockdown approach um do you is there anywhere else around the world that you think any particular countries did well with this or do you think across the board it's been very much the wrong approach you know, like you say, it's rightly so. You have to localize your response to, to the pandemic. Okay. You know, it's not one size fits all. Right. Um, for instance, Italy, you know, they've, mm. they've got an a, a aged population. And, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't cater for that. They didn't, you know, respond to that. And they lost a lot of, of citizens because of that. Mm. Um, you know, you, you're looking at, at Sweden or Holland that didn't have a lockdown, you know, because they know their population and they know they've got a strong healthcare system. They know their population is, is healthy. And if 60% of your population, you know, actually contracts the virus, you, you get this herd immunity. Right. So you have to localize. I, I just think, you know, looking at the U.S., um, mm. I think they actually off struck the balance correctly. You know, okay. they, they locked down not too early, they locked down, you know, and they flattened the curve and they also managed now to, to save the economy. I mean, mm. if you look at the, um, the stock markets in, in the U.S., it's, it's rebounding. You mm-hmm. know, they've, they've given themselves a chance. I think our lockdown is just, it, it came too early, too hard. And I mean, it, we didn't have a good economy going into this and no, retracting course. it now is destroying the you know, and food security is really now the mm-hmm. problem and the crime that goes with it. Just a question I had on Africa, and of course you can speak to South Africa specifically, but something that's been, I've been thinking about and trying to find out about, so maybe I'll play devil's advocate on the part of government. We aren't seeing as many cases as, as the rest of the world. So Africa seems to be okay for now. Of course, you know, the peak might come later, but do you think there's anything in Africa, is it the climate? You know, some people have talked about that, uh, for example, we've done a lot of stuff regarding TB and that might help in some ways with people not getting the virus. But have you put any thoughts into that at all? Why 
we aren't seeing that. Maybe then the South African government can say, yes, see, we did hard lockdown. That's why we aren't seeing these high numbers. What do you think about that, that sort of approach or answer? I'm thinking about, I think Malawi tried to do a lockdown and they took it to court and it was immediately thrown out by, by the court. So I just think geographically, Africa, you don't see that much foreign, maybe um, tourists coming into the geographical area. Okay. I also think climate plays a role because I think the colder it gets, the, the, the more problematic the virus becomes. And then also the age profile. I think, you know, mm -hmm. if you don't have a really old um, population, you will see less um, serious symptoms and also much less deaths. Mm -hmm. uh, and people, also maybe, you know, sorry, your, sorry, your non-communicable diseases, you know, um, I've seen now um, studies that actually says that the most COVID fatalities is because of diabetes. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what the prevalence of diabetes is in Africa. It may be, be high, but I, I don't think so because it's usually, you know, obesity and, you know, metabolic syndrome mm -hmm. leads to diabetes. So maybe it's, it's also a factor, you know. And immunity. I mean, if, if you've lived in a, in a wild country where you are exposed to pathogens every day, mm -hmm. you know, you do build up some some strong immunity. So the sheltered communities of, of Europe and America, <laughs> we're seeing the effects of that now. And also, I guess that, uh, as you mentioned, Italy, that, that affectionate culture, because for them, I mean, kissing on the cheek, that sort of thing with family, with friends, that's a big thing. And now we're seeing, I don't think people are really accounting for those cultural differences and the importance thereof. Maybe the Afrikaner approach of just shaking hands and leaving it at that, or even just waving is the better approach now. <laughs> no, most definitely. I mean, I think that's why South Korea has been so successful. They, mm. They're used to wearing masks every day because of pollution levels or, I don't know, you know protocol. They, mm. they don't see it as funny to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think they maintain social distance. So even if you don't, if you use a mask, you know, that, that definitely lowers the infection rate. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully people can learn at least some of these behaviors and things going forward. And we, hopefully we can show and, and learn that we don't need the government to make these decisions for us when, some, when a risk approaches people. Some of, of course, some people are going to make the wrong decisions and expose themselves and their families, but many others will, will take the, the right approach. Uh, Andrew, just to wrap up, I thought I would give you the final sort of word, just any parting thoughts you want to leave us with. I mean, I've, I've learned a bit today talking to you about just different aspects of the virus and how governments can handle these things. But just I thought I would let you um, leave us with anything you want people to think about and chew on going forward. Yeah, I, th I think the biggest problem for me is still the siloed approach in South Africa, the public sector and the private sector. You know, I would love to see a South Africa where private can refer into public and public can, you know, transfer back to, to the private sector because I believe a healthcare practitioner is a healthcare practitioner. A, a, a life and a, a body's health you know, it's universal. It shouldn't be determined by a public system or a private sector mm -hmm. system. 
And I do believe government should really also now assist the private sector. You know, it's, it's not going to do us any good to now destroy the private sector or to just neglect it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's worth saving. And I think, you know, public-private participation going forward can have very huge effects to, to the betterment of us all. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good note on which to end. I think most South Africans, if not all, want to see things just working well and would be very open to the public and private sectors working together in these ways. And it's sort of, yeah, we need to see a, a an embrace by the government of the private sector, not a not an attempt to undermine and destroy those resources. It is South Africans, I think, in general, want to work hard and want to contribute, and they should be encouraged by the government to do so, not attacked and, and demonized in different ways and just government wanting to control them all the time. So uh, I, I agree with you there, and I hope we, I hope very much we see that going forward. Just on a final, final note, any, um, any way you would want the viewers and listeners to follow you or, or listen to you, talk to you on social media or any websites, anything like that? Oh, I do have a Twitter account, so I think that would be the best. Um, I do post regularly, so um, I'm also on LinkedIn. That's also a very nice professional platform. And that's also where I post the most scientific sort of researched articles. Mm. So I think that works well as well. Thank okay, perfect. I'll, um, I'll link to all of, that, all of that in the description below for those of you uh, watching on YouTube. And I think uh, on that note, Andrew, I want to thank you for your time. Thanks for joining me today. I really enjoyed it. And I'm sure the viewers and listeners have as well. So thank you very much for giving us your time. Um, Viewers and listeners to you, thanks once again for listening to one of our episodes. We greatly appreciate your support. Uh, If you find value in our work, please consider, consider donating to the Free Market Foundation. You can find that link on our website, www.freemarketfoundation.com. Please uh, like this video. Please share it on your different social media platforms. And if you're listening on Spotify or Google Podcasts or any of the other uh, audio platforms on which we are, including iTunes, please leave a rating and also please share those links uh, with your friends, with family, with people you think may be interested in our work. Now is uh, probably one of the most important times in the history of this country that we get the right ideas out, that we say the right things, come up with the right policy proposals. And you all engaging with our work and sharing that goes very far to helping us spread the right kind of message. So on that note, I will end today's episode. Thanks once again for joining us and we'll talk to you again very soon. Bye.